Welcome to The Paleo View. I'm bestselling author and co-creator of realeverything.com, Stacey Toth. I focus on being healthy inside and out through real life, food, and talk. I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne, New York Times bestselling author and creator of thepaleomom.com. I'm passionate about improving scientific literacy around public health topics. I like hashtags and bone broth. And I'm just a super nerd. Welcome back, Paleo View listeners. And boy, do we have a show for you today. (laughs) Sarah and I were just like brainstorming about the show for a second ago. And I was like, no, 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 we just have to, we just have to like jump in because we're both so passionate about this topic. Um, So I'm not going to tease it because I know you're already seeing it on your phone anyway. This week, we want to talk about sustainability. Um, We talk a lot about sustainability as it relates to creating a diet and lifestyle for you that's sustainable from um, consuming food, whether it be humanely and sustainably raised animals to um, produce that is harvested in a sustainable way. Today, we're going to talk about sustainability from the perspective of why it's so important and um, what we can all do in general. And I think Sarah and I are both very science-minded people, as you know, Um, and this was inspired both by Earth Day, Planet Earth's new show on, I think it's on Netflix. Um, Netflix called, wait, hang on. I, I'm like super jumping in to plug it. It's called go. Our Planet. There you go. And it's narrated by and it's, David Attenborough. And it's, it's either like the second or third in the series. Um, and each one becomes more and more powerful. Just my personal mm-hmm. opinion. Um, and I will say too, I think because it was um, Earth Day, I think all of April was like Earth Awareness. Um my son in particular, Finn, came home with a whole bunch of education and information, um, which I love that they're teaching in schools. And he was sharing his concerns with me about the resources that are going to run out. And Mm -hmm. he was sharing things that I wasn't even aware were happening so soon. And I am very attuned to this sort of thing. So, um, you know, he was telling me certain resources are going to expire by 2020. Um, I mean, that's like two years from now, guys. (laughs) A year and a half. Yeah. That's next year. That's it's we're almost halfway through 2019. So what we're going to do is talk a little bit about that today and get ourselves, all of us, collective listeners, groups um, fired up so that you can walk away with some action items and hopefully inspired to talk to others about this as well. Um, There's no motive here. There's no like particular product that we're plugging. Like our motive is we want the earth to be here for our children. Um, so we hope that that motivates you as well, uh, because we're going to mention a lot of different things that you can do or, you know, places you can support and that kind of stuff. And it's because we are truly passionate about it. And if you want a healthy long-term life, you need a place to live that will maintain that for you. Yeah. One of the things that I did at my workshop in February was I actually ended the entire workshop with a discussion on how our dietary priorities can like translate to looking after the planet and can translate to um, sort of the ecological and environmental impact of the food supply. I think what 
um, what you and I talked about doing this podcast was even taking that part of the discussion, which we've touched on many times on the show before, and and taking it even like um, you know one step farther out in circumference from from that central idea, and really talking about our impact as human beings on the planet. Because I think, I mean, I really think that our priorities in terms of um, feeding our bodies the right foods to be healthy, of um, living in synchrony with um, the inputs to our health that are important. So getting enough sleep, right? Um, having a consistent sleep schedule, managing stress. I mean, all of those things that we've talked on, on about on the podcast so many times. I really see all of those priorities as being like a tangential offshoot from uh, sort of this more uh, environment protectionism type type message. And when you sort of suggested talking about this on the podcast, it was one of those for me, like, this is such a huge passion of mine. Um, just it's something that I, you know, I've, I recycle, I, we, you know, take steps to reduce our carbon footprint. Like this is something that is, I think is really, really important uh, for myself and, and for my family. And I, I loved your suggestions to sort of bring this topic to our podcast community because there's a lot of really small adjustments that we can make that can have a really big impact. Yeah. And the, the other thing that I want to say is I had written a blog post on Earth Day, not just about the things that you can do to reduce further damage, but there's a lot of things you can do to actually reverse damage that's mm-hmm. already happened or to offset things in your life. Like, you know, for me, there's just certain things that even though we know it's not the best, we do sometimes, you know, like we stop at the coffee shop and we get coffee to go and we don't have cups already in the car. Like sometimes it just happens or, you know what I mean? Like you yep. forget your bags at the grocery store or it, what, whatever the thing is for you. And those are obviously like minute things that I'm admitting to. There's bigger problems um, that our family does, but we're, you know, we're a family of five. We create a lot of trash and different kinds of things. And so for me, instead of just feeling guilty about all of that stuff, we made a commitment this year to also offset, which I think is mm. also important when you're talking about the larger conversation of um, things that you can do to help the planet. Because at some point you're going to, get to, okay, I've done everything that I feel like I can do. And now, you know, to reduce in my life, which we're going to talk about, but then beyond that, okay, what can I do to give back to the earth? What, what can I do to help offset carbon emissions instead of just reducing them? Um, so I'm excited to talk about some of those options as well. I, I think that's a really important thing to emphasize. Um, words like carbon footprint, uh, zero carbon ev- emissions versus net neutral carbon emissions are words that are thrown around a lot. And what we're talking about is something called net zero carbon emissions, which means that we offset um, the carbon that we're putting out into the atmosphere through basically consumption of fossil fuels in, in various forms. That can be uh, burning gasoline in your car, but it can also be uh, using plastic products because those are all things that are created from fossil fuels. Um, and the byproduct of consuming fossil fuels is the release of carbon dioxide into the air, which is a greenhouse gas, which is uh, 
increasing the average global temperature, which has a lot of impacts on things like uh, the ice sheets, which are really, really important for not just the environment, right, the the wildlife that those things support, but also in terms of regulating Earth's temperature, because the ice actually reflects a lot of sunlight back out into space. So they're really important sort of temperature modulators. So we'll get bigger swings in the seasons without uh, our polar ice caps. Um, It's doing things like raising sea levels. It's doing things like creating more extreme uh, weather events, uh, things like floods and droughts. So what it's doing is it's, it's creating a system where there's more energy in the atmosphere. So heat is energy. So if you have more heat because the average global temperature is higher, you have more energy to put into something like a storm. And so this is why we're seeing more extreme weather events. That means a more extreme snowstorm in the winter, um, but it also can mean a drought creating a situation for wildfires. And it's why so many different types of um, like really catastrophic events can be tied directly back to man-made global climate change. And as we were talking about this podcast, I, I sort of briefly contemplated sort of getting into some climate science. Um, and then I decided, you know, it's it's so unequivocal. Our audience, I know, is a more um, fact-based, evidence-based uh, minded group of people. And I think all I really need to say is it, the science is unequivocal. There is consensus among climatologists um, that the increase in global average temperature is driven by the uh, greenhouse gases that humans are putting into the atmosphere, and it's a direct link. And I, I don't want to get into, I, I don't, I really don't want to give climate deniers any room to exist within our podcast because. Um, what they're doing is they're dismissing um, the 99% of scientific literature that shows this point, right? So it's basically a conspiracy theorist. Um, and they're basically saying, well, I don't believe the 99% of science. I'm going to believe the 1%. Um, and that's not what we do on this podcast. We look at the full body of scientific literature and we value scientific consensus. So we value when there's multiple lines of evidence pointing to an explanation, which is what is happening with global climate change. So we're just going to like jump into things that each of us as individuals can do to achieve net zero carbon emissions, meaning that we both reduce uh, our carbon emissions or our carbon footprint, but also um, look at ways that we can support sequestration of carbon, so taking removing carbon from the atmosphere. We're gonna we're gonna hone in right on like real world solutions for individuals and kind of skip over the whole like controversy thing because it's not a controversy. Ninety nine percent of scientists agree that this is a thing, and that one percent. Um, well, I'm not gonna make a statement about the one percent. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, do you maybe want to jump into a little bit about the things that we can proactively do in our lives to reduce the carbon footprint? I think in some ways that's, that's some of the most accessible. So, um, I remember when I was in school, we had the three R's, reduce, reuse, recycle. Um, and that really is like, uh, there's a ton of different strategies that fall under that banner. So, a really like obvious place to start is being careful about what you throw in the trash and recycling anything that's recyclable. And I know that not everybody has access to 
um, recycled. We pay a little bit extra um, for on our uh, you know trash pickup bill, and we have a trash bin and a recycle bin. And the recycle bin is typically overflowing, and the trash bin is typically like a quarter full. Um, and that's in part because we're very very careful about what you know we know we have the full sheet printed out on the fridge. What can we put in the recycle versus what can go in the trash? And also being aware, you know, if you are fortunate enough to live somewhere. Uh, where there's citywide compost, or maybe you have a yard where you could have a compost bin or a compost pile, that can help reduce what's going into landfill even more. So being really aware of um, what can be recycled versus what can't. Um, We have the challenge here where our recycle company stopped taking glass about a year, year and a half ago. And they have, um, I mean, they have really good legitimate reasons for it. Um, The way that they do recycle here is instead of it being separated, and this is completely dependent on your location, whether or not you need to separate paper and plastic and uh, cans and glass, or whether or not you can throw it all in a bin. We live in a place where you can just throw it all into one bin and then they separate it at the recycle facility. Um, They have the, the challenge with glass that glass breaks and then it gets into their machinery and it ends up contaminating um, because it's it's very difficult to separate once it breaks, it ends up contaminating entire like loads, right? Entire neighborhoods full of all of their recycling, and so they've gone away from recycling glass because it basically was interfering with their ability to recycle. Period. What we've done as a family is find a local recycle center where we can come and bring our glass. So we have everything else picked up on the street that is something that we pay a little bit. I mean, it's like. 10 extra dollars a month for it, it's really not um, not much. It's not very expensive here in Atlanta. I realize that prices are probably different across the country. Um, but then what we do is we collect glass ourselves. And then typically once every couple of months, I uh, drive it over to the, to the recycle center. And that what's really cool about that is it's free to recycle glass, but they also take other items that are more challenging to recycle for a small fee. So I can, for example, recycle batteries there. Um, regular like uh, alkaline batteries are free to recycle. Lithium ion batteries cost like 25 cents or something each. They take things like compact fluorescent light bulbs, which have mercury in them. You don't want to throw those in the trash because then you're putting heavy metals into the environment. They recycle compact fluorescent light bulbs. Um, they can even, you know, do things like they will take uh, lightly used, you know, household items. They're not recycling them. They're actually working with uh, various charities. Um, what we do is anything, you know, ki- clothes the kids have grown out of um, or toys that they no longer play with. If we can't directly hand them down to a niece or a nephew, we always make sure to donate those um, to a charity because, they're, they still have a lot of life in them. So we also try to minimize our trash that way. So all of the, I mean, this kind of falls under reduce and recycle at the same time. But I think it really all falls under the banner of um, just being intentional and aware of what we're consuming that doesn't need to go into landfill um, or to an incinerator uh, where we've now, you know, not only did we emit carbon dioxide into the air to create that thing, because the formation of plastics uh, releases carbon dioxide into the air, but then we're also, you know, not contributing to um, to landfills. To I mean, there's all kinds of problems with, um, for example, um, there's a lot of plastic waste 
in America that there's not space for that is literally like thrown on a barge and like shipped overseas um, where other countries, I, I know China for sure, and I, I'm not, I'm sure there's other countries, will take it. And like, we basically pay China to take our, our plastic waste. But um, that is actually a major source of plastic waste getting into the oceans. And so whatever we can do to make sure that we are using as little as possible and um, recycling it when we do use it is is helpful. And this all falls under the banner of like, reducing our carbon footprint. So making sure that each one of us as individuals is doing what we can to limit our consumption of goods that requires fossil fuels to create. I think it's also a really good point. I just want to repoint back to when you said, you know, putting mercury in the trash. I think it was only a couple of years ago that I realized like batteries and those kinds of things are really bad to put in the trash. Um, and going to the dump is a pain, but you know, if you just set aside a, uh, like an area of your home, like get a bucket with a lid and just put it in the you know, garage or the, mm-hmm. a closet or something like that and store the things that you're going to need to take to the dump. And then when it gets full, just put it in your trunk. And the next time you're driving by, just take it there. I, I know that it's, you know, inconvenient and especially habit breaking for kids. My kids are the worst at like putting things into the trash that need to either be recycled or taken to the dump. So sometimes I find myself looking into the trash and yelling at people about like, this is recyclable. <laughs> um, and whether or not you want to be that mom is up to you. <laughs> but um, I have, do you, do you know what I say? Three forgetful boys. They are. <laughs> oh just... Do you want to make me watch you make, I'm going to make you watch planet earth one more time. Um, well, my kid, my kids, I mean, as a, as a bit of a tangent, this is one of the things that we have done sort of unintentionally. It just kind of happened that way because my kids love nature shows. We watched all of the planet Earths. We watched all of the blue planets. And then we've watched all of the episodes of our planet. And my kids love, I mean, that is our preferred, you know, family watching is that and like Nova's and Nova, you know, episodes of Nova will periodically hit on uh, issues related to global climate change as well. And so it, it doesn't necessarily need to be like a, a point of of conflict. And I know, Stacey, that's not what you have with your boys. But um, just if anybody out there is like worried about training their family to recycle as well, there's these really engaging educational um, television show series. There's movies, documentaries that do the job for us. I mean, so I just need to share our story watching our planet. Like we are a very... Uh, we're environmentalists. That's, I'm just going to own that term. Um, and that that's something that dates back to our childhoods. Um, so we've always been the, the weird people that compost and recycle and, uh, you know, save everything. Um, our, um, watching our planet made both my husband and I completely up our game. So, um, I was not recycling glass and we watched the first episode and that was when I found the recycling center to recycle glass. Like I was just being frustrated every time I had to throw a glass bottle in the trash because my recycling wouldn't take it. And I didn't do that last step of problem solving until watching the first episode of our planet. After the second episode of our planet, my husband priced out solar panels for our house. 
uh, they are not in the budget right now, but they have now made it onto the like, okay, you know, here's here's the wish list and why don't we start saving towards it? It's the type of thing um, for anybody who's interested. We have our um, energy company has a buyback uh, program. So they actually would buy any uh, additional electricity that we produce, which uh, we did the math based on our energy usage, which we do try to minimize. We try not to have lights on in the house during the day. We try to only have lights on in the room that we're in. In the evening, we set our thermostat at 78 in the summer and at 63 in the winter. And we just wear clothes that's appropriate for that type of of temperature shift inside the house. Um, So we're doing a lot of things to reduce our energy usage. Even with our fairly low energy usage, solar panels would pay for themselves in about eight years. And so when we saw that math, we're like, great. I mean, we need still the upfront investments to do them. But this is some of the like really neat, I think, things that are accessible to um, consumers now that didn't used to be. It didn't used to be that you could just put solar panels on your roof. And that would that would have just been we would have only needed a six by 10 um, solar panel, which is that solar panels are so efficient now that you can create a lot of energy with a fairly small solar panel. So uh, that was what <laughs> the second episode. After the third episode, my husband decided, um, uh, because he's going to need a new car pretty soon, that he would like his next car to be a plug-in. Like, it was, it, it, it was so uh, – it wasn't – our planet is very inspiring. It, there's a little bit of – There's definitely some scenes that are very upsetting, and I would say, um, as my PSA about that show, if you're somebody who has a really hard time um, watching uh, suspense shows or more dramatic shows, I mean, seeing the real-life consequences of global climate change, um, there there were episodes where I was, like, in tears. It was very upsetting. But overall, the message of the show is very inspirational. It's very much like how quickly nature can bounce back, how small changes we make can make a really big difference um, to the planet. And it's very much designed not to make us all depressed and give up, but rather to motivate and inspire. And that is absolutely what that show did for us. So I highly, highly recommend Our Planet with the caveat that maybe it's not appropriate for too young of kids. Um, and if you are somebody who um, is uh, uh, like I am, so just very, um, I don't know, I'm going to say sensitive. I don't have a better word for that right now. Um, there are some scenes, especially in the earlier episodes, that can be very upsetting. I have a question for you. Yes, ma'am. So if you don't have solar, I struggle with the idea of getting a plug-in car because Mm -hmm. you're trading oil energy for coal energy. Can you, can we talk about that a little bit? Because I, I really do want to get the best solution and I genuinely, am not sure which is better. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, this is something that we've looked into because we've talked about uh, a plug-in, either a fully electric vehicle or a plug-in hybrid on and off for a few years because it's like my husband's dream car. Um, we haven't done it before because we used to be in an area that was predominantly coal power. In the last five years, our area has switched over to much more natural gas, which is cleaner. Um, and we do have hydroelectric 
power and part of our grid. There's a little bit of solar. There's a little bit of wind. So we are now in an area that is using um, the electricity is coming from a, of definitely some renewable sources. Um, there's still a little bit of coal, but it's a really interesting thing that's happening right now is, um, you know, coal is definitely a high polluting source of power, but it's also becoming, it's, it's not that coal power plants are not shutting down because, uh, of some lack of, you know, government support. It's because it's no longer as efficient to produce energy because of the technological advances in renewable energy. So it's actually becoming cheaper now to produce energy with wind if you um, live in a state that has that sort of constant source of wind or with solar or uh, with hydroelectric. Um, even, uh, you know, so nuclear power, I think, is worth kind of mentioning in here because it has the complication of needing places to be able to put spent nuclear rods um, after they come out of the reactors. Um, and so there's there's this complication of like, they're typically buried in water at the bottom of mines. However, other than that complication, it is very, very clean and efficient power. So it has this kind of like give and take. Wind and solar is definitely preferable to nuclear, but nuclear in terms of the um, impact on the climate um, is very, very low compared to something like natural gas or coal. So it, it sort of falls in that, you know, th I think there's a give and take for pretty much every um, way of generating electricity. Um, but I, I think nuclear certainly can have its place. So depending on where you live, your electricity could come from all of the above, one or two of them. And so um, I would say as long as you're not in an area that is still using predominantly coal to create electricity, you're probably in a place where uh, the, and especially if you have a longer commute, you're probably in a place where a plug-in hybrid or a fully electric vehicle is going to have a lower carbon footprint than a um, gasoline car. And then like, then where a hybrid vehicle falls in between will depend on exactly exactly what percentage of your electricity is coming from renewable sources. Yeah, it's interesting because the coal was the resource that the boys were saying was going to run out next. I don't know if that was the one in 2020. but the, And so they had been learning in school about alternative, alternative energy sources. And solar was the one that was talked about in school as being like the predominant focus as being the most mm -hmm. efficient energy source and the cleanest, like when you look at it overall. And I was like, how cool is that? That this is like an option for them. I remember being in school and doing a science project on um, the frequency of degrading um, materials. Mm -hmm. And so I, I took like a terrarium and I put soil in it, like organic matter. And then I um, put cardboard buried stuff. <laughs> yeah, I, I buried stuff essentially, right? And I, I watched what happened over the course of four weeks to these different things. And I remember thinking at the time, like, 
being a kid and thinking like the plastic didn't change at all. That's cool. But like now I look, <laughs> you know, now, now I look back know, on it, it and I'm change like over a thousand years. No. Yeah. So one of the things that I want to mention, and I think we're going to, you know, get into, um, a, a whole bunch of other things, but I think there's this, this idea that, um, glass is better than plastic. Um, and you mentioning your recycling thing with glass, I, I would like everybody to take the action item to, as soon as you're not in the car driving, look Clearly. look up your recycling center standards because you could be putting stuff in your recycling bin and have no idea that it's just going into a dump, which is what happened with me. Um, and our neighborhood ended up doing, we're working on a collective um glass pickup in the neighborhood to alternate who is the person that brings the glass to the dump where they have a special, um, glass crusher thing, but like the recycling people just throw it away. I don't know why the recycling people can't separate glass and take it to the crusher, but that's neither here nor there. So, um, we have a very active community. I think I've mentioned on here before, like I go to trivia with the neighborhood and, um, we have like a CSA pickup in the neighborhood. We, we have an active community, which is fantastic. So a lot of us are just like, well, if we each took a turn taking glass to the dump once a week, we would only have to go every six weeks or whatever. Um, so we're working on doing that just on our own, you know, and we can use, like we have a neighborhood pool and we can dedicate an area there where people can just like drop it off and whatever. But so cool. Um, I would have never known that we needed to do that had people not shared an article about how the local recycling company is no longer taking care of glass. And so you think in your head, oh, I'm buying glass because it is better for the earth. But in fact, the glass is then going in the trash and the plastic is being recycled. So it's just really important to understand like your circumstances. And the only way that you can do that is to really do the research and then make the best choices for you. Because what is the best choice for somebody else or, you know, a talk track that you hear someone say might not necessarily be the same for you. And it might actually be better for you to purchase BPA plastic or whatever um, if you need to make a choice about something disposable, right? So um, the other thing that I want to mention is supporting brands that reuse plastic is yes. super important, right? Like it does us no good to recycle the plastic if we don't buy the products that are made with the recycling plastic. So um, I mentioned that we were going to talk about things that we love in the show. One of the things that I love is Rothy's. Uh, Sarah, I don't know if you've tried Rothy's, but I feel what is, like... What? Rothy's? What? Oh my gosh. My mind just exploded right now. So I don't even know what you're talking about. Rothy's is a brand of shoes. R-O-T-H-Y. And they are entirely made of recycled plastic and they're BPA free and super soft. I own like six or seven pairs. <laughs> um, they come in flats and either like a ballet or a pointed toe flat. And then they come in tennis shoes and they come in, um, I forget what they're called, but they're like a slipper shape. Um, and they're, they're, they're wonderful. Like they're, um, they're not a technically a minimal shoe. They, I mean, but I guess they are because there isn't really anything to them. They're just flats. Um, but the reason that I love them 
so much is because I am supporting millions and millions mm. of offset of plastic bottles when I buy these shoes. So um, I usually buy a pair every six months because they come out with new styles and, you know, whatever, and I fall in love with them. And um, shoes. And shoes. And so I've, I mean, I've transitioned pretty much to all of my shoes either being um, like zero shoes that we've talked mm -hmm. about before on the show or Rothy's. And then I have like one or two pairs of like Birkenstocks and tennis shoes. Um, but otherwise, like all of my shoes um, I've transitioned. No, that's not the case. They know a lot of people want fashionable high heels and all that kind of stuff. I can't do that because my back. So it's been a good opportunity for me to find something that works. This is just one example of supporting a brand. And what I will say too is if you go to um, B Corp's website, if you've ever heard of um, B Corp, that, that's um, a certification that a company can get from putting people and planet before profit. That's kind of their, their tagline. And so if a company is a certified B Corp, it means that they're making investments in their business to offset their carbon footprint. So when you are supporting that brand, whatever it may be, there's thousands of them. Um, you are supporting a brand that is putting back into the earth for whatever they're using. Like I know a lot of these brands cool. when their executives fly, they're calculating what those miles are and then they're offsetting them with planting trees. And when they use water in the manufacturing of a product, they're investing back into um, clean water resources. So um, there's different kinds of things that all of them do, but you can find a ton of them on B Corp. Um, it's, you know, like B Corporation's website. Um, some of the ones that I love, Alter Eco, we all know that's, mm -hmm. you know, fair trade chocolate on top of everything I else. I might have eaten some already today. There you go. That's the <laughs> that's a kind of brand that's a B Corp. Um, seventh Generation is another B Corp. Mm -hmm. um, Method is another B Corp, G Diapers. So again, these are brands that you're already kind of looking at as being better for the earth in terms of what their ingredients are or what they're trying to do in terms of like reducing, for example, G Diapers is trying to reduce waste by having um, a diaper that's mostly cloth, right? But like not completely cloth if you're not there mentally yet. <laughs> Um, G Dippers is what we used to use when we traveled or different kinds of things like that. So they're a B Corp, um, Earthbound Farms, which is like our, the, um, when we buy lettuce at a grocery store, the organic lettuce that we usually buy, um, from Whole Foods is Earthbound Farms, Peeled Snacks, Patagonia, Athletic, uh, um, Athleta, or is it Athleta? I, I never really know. Oh yeah. I'm not sure. It's one of those um, words you see in print and then you never hear it said out loud. <laughs> Luna pads, um, which we've talked Ooh. about safer yep. menstruation products we've, before. We've switched to those. Yep. Good. Excellent. Yep. Um, another way to offset your car carbon footprint and support a B Corp brand, clean canteen. And for me, obviously beauty counter. So these are just some of the ones that, oh, and uh, King Arthur flour, which makes oh. um, gluten-free flour. So these are just some of the brands that when I went to their website and I was like, oh, these are all brands that I already love and support that I think our community would identify with. Let me pull them out just to give you an example. But um, I have a blog post up on my website called Three Simple Steps to Offset Your Footprint. We'll put a link in the show notes and there's a, like a link to the full list that you can go to to like search for different kinds of brands that you want to support on B 
We will put a link in the show notes uh, to that blog post and the full list of brands that you can look for yourself. But to me, that's been one of the things that I've been trying to focus on because I feel like we've reduced, not obviously, there's always room for improvement, right? But what I want to focus on now is how do we offset and supporting brands that are doing the right thing is something that Mm -hmm. I can do and I want to do. So, um, I just wanted to put that out there and Sarah get some Rothy's um, clearly. And, and while I said this is not sponsored, I will put a link in the show notes for, I have like a code that gets you like $20 off your first pair or something like that, I think. So I'll put that in there. I don't make any money off of that, but they aren't cheap because recycling plastic and then creating shoes out of them isn't a cheap process. So it's a nice way to get money off if you are going to get them. Um, I love the focus on companies that are doing things right. I think there's a flip side to that coin, and it is allowing ourselves to be aware of companies that are doing things wrong and not supporting those companies um, with our purchases. So um, a couple of things that have hit the media um, in just like the last couple of weeks that were like really fresh in my mind as I was thinking about things I wanted to mention on this podcast was things like the destruction of the Amazon rainforest in Brazil in order mm. to grow beef um, or, say, or, palm. The or palm in Madagascar. So the amount of um, rainforest in Madagascar is like 5% of what it was even a decade ago. I'm, these numbers might not be quite accurate, but it's an incredibly small percentage over a fairly short period of time. And um, that's, that's um, really impacting those ecosystems, but also those ecosystems, not just the species that live there. I mean, Madagascar has all kinds of unique species that don't live anywhere else in the world, but the Amazon rainforest is the same. And we've already had things like cancer drugs come out of the Amazon. So like it's, if we lose those species, we also potentially lose like scientific knowledge. We lose um, potential really important compounds that can be used for medicine. Like there's, there's all kinds of things that we can lose, but also those forests are main, uh, you know, so one of the things that happens is carbon dioxide as it goes into the atmosphere, whether it's the increase from man or like the normal, cause there is a normal cycle, right? We breathe out carbon dioxide. So, uh, all mammals are sort of contributing to carbon dioxide in the air. Plants do the reverse. So they take in carbon dioxide uh, they inhale carbon dioxide and exhale oxygen. So that's what's happening in photosynthesis. So plants are the main way to sequester uh, at this point without you know cool technologies that'll sequester carbon dioxide. The main thing that we have right now on earth that sequesters carbon dioxide and takes it out of the air is plants and trees and seagrasses even, right? Like it can be plants that live algae in the ocean does this. Um, plants on land do this. And so part of the problem is not just our use of fossil fuels um, to create all kinds of awesome things that we love in our modern awesome societies, but it is destroying um, the natural resources that would offset that. So um, cutting down forests to make uh, monocrop farmland or, for example, cutting down the Amazon to mine minerals or to create cattle farms. Um, I did not realize, but beef is the, the 
highest beef producers in the world is actually Brazil. I would have thought it would have been America, hands down, um, yeah, but it's I, not. It's fascinating to me. And um, and so um, and so the, the companies that are cutting down the Amazon, they're selling their beef to America. They and they have like an American. I don't know what the technical offshoot branch, whatever. I don't know what the technical company term is. Um, and so also they're one of the major source of like the beef that is like recalled due to E. coli in America. So I think um, being aware of, you know, obviously we have lots of conversations on this show about don't let perfection be the enemy of the good. But I think that I, I know I have this tendency, I'm going to own this, of um, enjoying walking around with blinders on, right? Like not wanting to acknowledge that something that I do or something that I buy may have, may be linked to these like really harmful farming practices or manufacturing practices or pollution. And I think that one of the things that we can do is give ourselves permission to educate ourselves on some of these more environmentally harmful practices and companies and give ourselves permission to not support them and and find alternatives. So, um, you know, for example, this is where the local food movement is really amazing, where we can, um, you know, buy our meat from local farmers or use a company like ButcherBox, which we've talked about on the show before, um, which supports regenerative farming. Um, buying uh, palm and coconut products from something like Tropical Traditions, which uh, only sources ethical palm and ethical coconut, um, and and avoiding those practices that are are destroying right like baboon habitats. And so I think um, I think part of it is, you know, for me there's there's this way of being empowered and motivated to do good that still lets go of guilt and still acknowledges that every once in a while I'm going to have to buy a bottle of water in a plastic container because like you said at the top of the show, I needed water and I was in this place and I didn't have my refillable water bottle and this is just what's going to happen now. And then thinking about ways uh, where I can personally offset that. Um, and your suggestion of, of supporting B corporations is amazing. There's also, if you, um, if you live in a house with some land, um, allowing that land to be planted, plant a tree, or, um, if you have enough space in your yard, let part of your yard revert back to a completely unman unmanicured nature, right? So, uh, obviously this is, challenging if you're talking about living in an area that has poison ivy like I do right so there's there's obviously going to be berries to this but can you let some underbrush grow there um or can you plant trees or um you know can you plant um have like a native flower garden right native flowers are basically weeds but you like let them live and then that attracts things like feral bees like there's there's this wonderful there's a lot of wonderful and low maintenance ways that we can increase the green space locally, even if it's, you know, some, some plants, um, in, in our yard. We also talked about having more houseplants a few episodes ago and how that can help 
just clean the air in our homes. So, and even if you don't have land, you could do that on your balcony where mm-hmm. it's, it is helping the environment. Like every little thing we do, I, I try to not get overwhelmed with the idea of all of the people who are like manufacturing or not thinking about this and just creating a ton of trash because then I get so upset that like there's nothing I can do to offset that. I I have to pull myself away from that and just say mm-hmm. if everybody made a choice to do a couple of little things, even if it didn't change the world entirely and revert us back to where we were, you know, however many millions ago before we had this carbon emissions problem. Three, three new science. Three million years ago was the last time car- the carbon dioxide levels in the atmosphere were this high. Yeah. So good job, humans. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but if we can make a a little step it will elongate how long our great great grandchildren have on this earth um and instill in them habits to make even more steps and more steps and more steps i think um i do have land and i'm terrible with keeping things alive if we as we've talked about in the show but i would recommend and this is in that post that um is linked to as well checking out crystal who used to work with us here on the show has her own blog called whole fed homestead. And she talks about how to grow everything on your property. And one of the basic things that she says anybody can do if they have even just a little bit of land is mushrooms. And mushrooms we've talked about on this show are one of great superfoods. And you can take old dead wood, drill some holes in it and grow yourself some really great mushrooms. So, I mean, that's just one of many, many things that people can do. Mushrooms are like the recyclers of the like living world. Yep. They they are amazing for cleaning up the environment, for detoxifying soil, for breaking down plant matter and for sequestering carbon dioxide. So there you go. I know it feels like, oh, well, I'm terrible with a garden or, you know, my county doesn't allow chickens. Like I get all of that, but I do think with a little bit of homework and commitment, you can make a difference, but do it in a way that is sustainable and setting yourself up for success because you don't want to do something and fail at it and then be like, oh, I give up on that. Um, Yeah. I would say like a really simple place to start is by getting some reusable grocery bags and keeping them on you so that you're not getting, you know, plastic or paper grocery bags at the store, getting a refillable water bottle and using that instead of buying water bottles and plastics or I'm getting a travel coffee cup. And when you buy coffee, get it in your, in your coffee cup instead of in a paper cup. Like those those things, um, I have had to like. What I do is I actually have um, fabric um, shopping bags in like three different places. So I have them in my farmer's market basket for when I go to the farmer's market. But I also keep some in my car at all times, and then I also keep some in my purse because I'm like the queen of walking into the grocery store, but the bags are in my car, and then I get to the checkout and then realize I don't have them, and they're like so close, and I have periodically like do you mind waiting i'm just gonna run out to my car and get my bags and the the answer is always yes but i'm also that's like super embarrassing so i have also had times where i'm just like i'll take paper please so i think that um you know those are really easy places to start um setting your thermostat a couple degrees higher in the winter and a little bit lower no wait a little bit higher in the summer and a little bit lower in the winter um so you're not using as much energy to heat and cool your home is a really great place to start and then evaluating your transportation is there a public transit option to your work that may get you there in the same amount of time as driving 
Um, or can you carpool or can you work from home a couple of days a week? Um, those are, those are like the low hanging fruit in terms of carbon footprint. So if we've been talking about, you know, driving to your local recycle center and organizing your entire neighborhood to recycle with you and planting trees. <laughs> those and, are bigger picture. <laughs> those, those are like next level. Like, you know, we're trying to look at this holistically, but I want to break it down to, um, Hey, uh, do some research in terms of recycling where you live and maybe, you know, have some fabric grocery bags. You can also get reusable silicone bags for uh, produce in the store. So instead of always using a plastic bag, when you buy lettuce, you can put it in your own silicone bag. And that's like a awesome reusable or thing. Just don't even put it in a bag at all. I mean, they do also make like cotton produce bags, but mm -hmm. I just throw it in its own fabric bag. Like all of my produce just goes in one. Like, I don't know where humans came up with this idea that we need to separate like our lemons from our limes <laughs> and whatever. When we go to the store, you know, some of the things are fragile and they, you know, you want to put them in something. But the other idea is if you don't have it, like you don't need that plastic bag. I promise it'll be okay. Um, but I, I also am terrible. Well, what happens is I use it, I bring it in the house and then I leave it by the door. And the next time I go to the store, it's not in my trunk. So, um, again, this is, don't let perfection be the enemy of the mm -hmm. good. Just make the best choices that you can at the time. Um, the other thing that we've tried to do is reduce the amount of packages that we get. So, Instead of, for example, being addicted to Amazon and putting something in your cart and like immediately making a purchase, um, we put things in the cart and we'll either leave them there until, you know, like we're truly ready and in need for things, or you can switch to Amazon's new program for weekly delivery. Um, you can sign up for subscribe and save, reduce the number of boxes as an option when you check out. You know, there's there's all different kinds of things like that. For me, I'm not going to stop with my subscription delivery services. For example, I've talked about Hungry Harvest on the show as mm -hmm. being a way that I'm getting my produce delivered to me. That's extra carbon emissions because that guy is driving around and delivering the stuff, but he would have been delivering it to a grocery store and I would have been driving to the grocery store. So... I tell myself that's not the worst thing because I'm reducing the number of wasted food and all of that kind of stuff. But instead of feeling badly about that, I'm going to look at what I can do and making the changes and the offsets like we've talked about. Um, so one of the other things that I want to mention um, is that if you want to, if you're feeling empowered and you really want to figure it out, you can calculate your own usage mm -hmm. and how much you need to offset. Um, we'll put a link in the show notes, but there's a place called My Climate, and you can go in and calculate your your usage, like Sarah did with her um, solar, and you know, knowing how much she would pay back and how much she uses and all that kind of stuff. There's there's formal websites that can help you do that, and once you know, then you can. If you don't have land yourself or you, you know, want to do something else, you can donate trees or water or money towards wind energy or solar energy somewhere else or something like that. So um, if that's an option for you, you know, some, some people get to a place where they've just done everything they can do and then they're like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm committed to this. I have financial resources instead of time resource to, to dedicate to this. So you could... Um, certainly donate to uh, places where they will plant trees or do clean water on your behalf. 
Um, and then the other thing that I want to mention is Sarah and I started this podcast a long time ago, focused on kids. And as our kids grew up, we don't talk about it as much, but it's just super important to me to really instill this mentality for our children. We've talked about that, you know, mm-hmm. a little bit, um, but there are formal programs that you can look into locally in your area. Um, If you guys remember, my kids went to farm camp when they were younger for several summers in a row, and they really learned a lot about, you know, the earth and how much it takes to take care of the earth and how we don't just spray pesticides. Instead, they would pick the bad bugs off of the plants and they would go feed them to the chickens. And they learned about, um, the, you know, in environment and how to give back and all that kind of stuff. So you can check out if there are programs like that in your area. There's a UNESCO has like a list of programs um, devoted to helping children learn about the earth and the environment and that kind of stuff. Um, so definitely check that out. We'll put a, a link in the show notes there. But I think if you have that available to you, it's a wonderful resource. Of course, teaching your children yourselves and watching, you know, these programs and educating them goes a huge way too. I know it does matter to my, my kids. They just are not paying attention or thinking when they're throwing things out. Though. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and just as a final note, there are also organizations that are doing great work in terms of promoting um, environmental protectionism and, uh, and, and tackling it through a variety of different ways, right? Like supporting innovation in renewable resources um, and bringing awareness and uh, lobbying and different organizations sort of take different pieces of that pie. Um, I did just a quick search for for organizations that are are doing work in this arena. So there's obviously things that have been around forever, like World Wildlife Fund, um, but there's some other great great organizations that you could donate to, like Natural Resources Defense Council, Friends of the Earth, 350.org, and Environmental Defense Fund, and and all of those sort of have a different um, a different mission. And I definitely recommend, you know doing your research and, and figuring out if that's consistent with how you want to support, um, the planet. Uh, but I think it's, there's, there's that last piece of, of the puzzle of, um, donating to foundations that are also doing good work in terms of, uh, protecting, protecting the planet. Awesome. Well, Sarah, thank you for tackling this topic with me. I love that um, when I send you topics, most of the time you're like more jazzed to do them than, <laughs> than I am. So it's, it's like you gave me permission to bring this piece of my life to the podcast. So um, this is something that, you know, I, again, I said, I'll, I'll own the term environmentalist. It's something that I'm very passionate about. And it's something that um, I can see the link to paleo template and the stuff that we talk about on this podcast all the time. But what you did by suggesting it as, as a topic was, um, yeah, you gave me permission to, to bring this passion to, to the podcast. And, and thank you. Thank you for doing that. Absolutely. And I, I'm sure our listeners see how this all ties together because you can't have grounding and probiotics in your soil and all of those good things that we talk about, um, sunlight, vitamin D, like all of these things that we need for human health are given to us by the earth and we need to live in harmony with the earth. And so it's just a matter of figuring out how that harmony will, will 
work best with you. And I hope that today's show has given you at least some ideas on ways that you can make a difference. Remember that you don't need to walk away from this show feeling guilty and like you need to do so many things and you set out to do 40 of them and then zero habits are built and and nothing changes. Remember that everything happens over time. The earth did not you know, get to the worst it's been in 3 million years overnight. Um, So we can take time and make small steps towards big changes and um, feel good about every little thing you do. Each time you go to the grocery store with those reusable bags, um, know that you have made a difference in just that Mm -hmm. one choice that you're making and feel good about that. Yeah. And feel good about that more than you feel guilty about the time you forget. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for finishing my thought for me. (laughs) (laughs) You have something you wanted to tell our listeners about? I do. So this was uh, just so happens that when this podcast goes live, uh, this is not related to the environment in any way. um, But just this weekend, so this is, I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, if you're like, doing what so many of our listeners do, like find the podcast and then go back and listening to all 350 episodes up until the point where you joined. Um, Probably not as relevant to you, but anybody who's listening when episode 352 releases uh, for just this weekend, there is a special offer of, it's called the Essential Autoimmune Protocol eBook Library. Um, There's 32 different eBooks in this library from 59 different uh, AIP bloggers contributing and it's very, very exciting. It's over $350 worth of ebooks for only $28. And uh, I am launching a brand new ebook in this collection because uh, I'm very, very passionate about creating resources for the autoimmune community. So I am launching a brand new ebook called The Autoimmune Protocol. It is a comprehensive ebook, uh, everything that basically you, you quick, quick access information, everything you need to know about autoimmune disease and the autoimmune protocol, and lots of like easy guides and tables so you can look things up along with four weeks of meal plans and recipes. And the only place that you can get it right now is in the Essential Autoimmune Protocol ebook library. So uh, to learn more, to see all 32 ebooks that are in there, and uh, also know that 10% of sales is supporting Um, charities that are doing work to help expand and support the AIP community. So go to thepaleomom.com slash go slash AIP dash library, and that will take you to the Autoimmune Protocol ebook library, or you can just go to my website. There's going to be lots of announcements all over thepaleomom.com as well if you listen to this and you're like in a hurry. Um, but I think it's an amazing, an amazing resource. It only comes around once every couple of years. And, uh, and I, I'm always, I'm always super proud and, um, and just, uh, I, I think it's just an amazing thing to be able to support. And I, I love being able to, to throw my support at resource collections like this. I think what's great about these ebook libraries is that you can store them in like a folder on your phone. Um, I don't know if you do Google Drive or Dropbox or something like that. And then look up, it looks like there's 1400 recipes mm-hmm. from the cookbooks that are included. So when you're at the store, especially if you're on AIP, sometimes it feels like you can't find anything or eat anything or whatever, or you know that you want to make something, but you can't remember the ingredients that are in that recipe, having them all available to you on a smart device like that at the ready is super helpful. 
I do that when I'm at the store and I am looking for some of my favorite cookbook recipes. I have them all in an e-library on my phone and then I'm able to quickly look up what those ingredients are and shop without needing to like call somebody at the house and say, will you look up that cookbook for me? (laughs) And if if you're, if you're tech savvy, um, like if you're a uh, younger than I am, um, there's even ways that you can like import this library into like iBooks. Like you can have, they don't have to be younger than you to do that. Uh, they have to be more interested in going to the <laughs> there you go. to that's, do the extra That's accurate. Because I, I am perfectly happy to just have it on Dropbox on yes, my phone. Yes. Um, but if you, you know, if you have a uh, an app that is your like central location for all of your eBooks, there are ways that you can import these eBooks into a, at least many of those apps. I don't know if, if you can do for all of them. Um, but uh, for the listeners, I just want to emphasize um, the sale starts Friday. So if you are listening to this late Thursday, because you're like a super go-getter, it's not, it doesn't exist yet. So hang tight until Friday morning, uh, thepaleomom.com forward slash go forward slash AIP dash library. And this is going to end midnight Monday night. So it's actually only available for four days. The reason why we do that is because every single contributor who contributes their, their eBooks to a collection like this is basically losing money uh, on their collection. But it's a worthwhile exchange for us because it gives us exposure to new audiences and because it's so important for all of us to support these charities that the the proceeds are going to, to support the AIP community. So the math really only works if it's available for a short period of time for us. So four days only, uh, Friday, first thing Friday morning until Monday evening, um, and I, I think it's awesome. And I'm also like really excited about my new ebook because, uh, I worked really hard on it. Awesome. Well, I'm looking forward to checking it out myself and listeners. Thank you so much for tuning in. Have a wonderful week and we will of course be back again soon. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the paleo view. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes. You can also support us by shopping for our favorite paleo products on the sidebars of our individual websites or by donating through PayPal. We are Allie and Erica, certified integrative nutrition health coaches in gut and hormone health and the hosts of the podcast, Courageous Wellness. We are committed to destigmatizing conversations in the wellness space and celebrate the experiences and lessons of our guests in pursuit of physical, emotional, and spiritual wellness. Listen to Courageous Wellness wherever you get your podcasts with fresh episodes every Wednesday.